Welcome to the Bot Canon, where we take the first 100 words of classic human literature and feed it into an artificial intelligence storyteller to see how they would finish our stories differently. Today's book, The Magician's Nephew by C.S. Lewis. This is a story about something that happened long ago when your grandfather was a child. It is a very important story because it shows how all the comings and goings between our own world and the land of Narnia first began. In those days, Mr. Sherlock Holmes was still living in Baker Street, and the Bastables were looking for treasure in the Lewisham Road. In those days, if you were a boy, you had to wear a stiff Eton collar every day, and schools were usually nastier than now. But meals were nicer, and as for sweets, I won't say they were not good to eat, but they were not made with the same loving care that, for instance, went into the making of gobstoppers at Hoffman's, which, as everybody knows, are the best gobstoppers in London. We begin our story with Diggory Kirk and Polly Plummer, two ordinary children, who live on an ordinary street in a quiet town in England. As everybody knows, it is rather dull and dreary in most parts of the country, but in Diggory's house, something happened one day to make life more wonderful and exciting than it had ever been before. It was Polly's birthday, and Diggory had invited his friend, Polly Plummer, to come and stay with him. Polly's father and mother were grown-up people and lived in India, and she was to live with her grandfather, who was very rich and lived in a red house on a hill called Queen's Crawley. Diggory's family was not quite so rich, and he felt a bit embarrassed inviting Polly to stay with him, but he was very fond of her, and he thought she would be the making of him. So he asked her to come, and they spent several very happy hours together talking and playing children's games. When they tired of their games, they sat by the fire in the old nursery, and Polly told Diggory about the houses she was building out of cardboard bricks, and about the animals she had tamed that lived in them. "'I'm so sorry I've no pets myself,' said Diggory. "'That's quite all right,' said Polly." I don't suppose they are much fun in school, but in India you see so many nice dogs and cats. It's really too bad, said Diggory. Whenever I am in the country, I always long so for a dog or cat of my own. I've often wished that I could train a tiger. How exciting that must be. Polly laughed. However would you train a tiger? Oh, I don't know. You know those dogs one sees about in London? Dogs that sit up and beg? Well, suppose you trained a tiger to do that. Polly laughed again. That would be quite a sight, she said. But would you really call it lion taming? Perhaps not, said Diggory. I would call it tiger taming. Polly nodded, and the two forgot all about that conversation, until about a week later they were playing in the garden at the back of Diggory's house. Polly liked to sit under an apple tree that grew in the corner of the garden, and Diggory often joined her there. Now that's all right, Diggory said, admiring the beautiful sky. It's a lovely sort of day. Yes, said Polly. It's nice and warm, but I've been thinking that it's a pity we have no pets like you have at home. Oh, that's all right, said Diggory. I don't believe it's much fun. Suddenly, Polly gasped. Why, Diggory, that isn't... It can't be a tiger over there, can it? Diggory looked where Polly was pointing, and there, under the shadow of the apple tree, he saw a big striped animal, all black and brown and shining in the sun. Don't be silly, Polly, he said. It's only... it's only a tiger skin. No, I believe it's a real live tiger, she said, jumping to her feet. Let's go look. Hush, be quiet, they'll hear us. It isn't alive, Polly said. Do you suppose it could be? They stood silent, watching the strange animal. And then Polly said, Well, I'm going over. I don't care what you do. Oh, all right, Diggory said. If it's alive, we can catch it. Yes, said Polly. If it's not alive, then it won't matter. Polly ran quickly towards the tiger. Diggory followed close behind. When they got to where the creature lay, they saw that it wasn't alive. It's dead, they said in unison. Then they screamed and ran away as fast as they could go, followed by the horrified gaze of the grown-ups that were sitting at the top of the garden. When they got home, panting, the grown-ups came downstairs and asked them what was that all about. 
There's a dead tiger out under the apple tree, Diggory gasped. A dead tiger, the grown-ups exclaimed. What for? I don't know, said Polly, but if it's dead, it can't hurt us. No, said Diggory, but it can't be a tiger. Look! And then the children showed the grown-ups the tiger skin, which they had brought away with them. Diggory, Polly's grandfather was saying, what were you doing with a dead tiger? Oh, said Diggory, we just found it. Like I said, we weren't going to do anything with it. That would be just like you, said Polly's grandfather. Whenever you go out for a walk, you come back with some silly beast or other. It was only that Polly was thinking how nice it would be to have a real-life tiger, Diggory explained. And it's too bad this one is dead. Well, said Polly's grandfather, I suppose we can get rid of it. But it's a beastly nuisance. Nothing, he muttered, can be more worrying than a dead tiger. All those disposal fees from the city. And he went off mumbling. Polly was not content with this solution. If only a tiger wasn't afraid of dogs, she said. I'd like to catch one alive and tame it. It would be very thrilling to ride on a tiger's back. It would be dangerous too, Diggory said. I shouldn't like it at all. They began arguing again about the merits of taming a tiger, when the tiger skin itself began to speak. Oh, you two silly children, it wailed. What a cruel thing it is to disturb poor me. You don't look very dead, said Polly. Oh, I am, the tiger skin wailed. Only dead people don't always know it. But how did you come there? Diggory asked. It was all a mistake, the tiger skin said. I died in a menagerie and the man who owned me was going to ship me to Africa. But they shipped me to your apple tree by mistake and now I am stuck here. The children looked at each other. Can you talk? Polly asked Diggory. Yes, he said. I've always been able to. Well then, said Polly, that means it really is a tiger skin. What's to become of me? wailed the tiger skin once more. Polly and Diggory looked at each other and knew they had to help it. Where did you come from? Polly asked. From a traveling menagerie, the tiger skin said. If we got you back there, could the owner send you where you should be? Polly asked. He doesn't want me, the tiger skin said sadly. He says I'm no good at catching live things. I like to eat dead things. I did eat dead things in the menagerie, but they got sick of it and made me leave. Why don't you go somewhere else? asked Diggory. Maybe people would like you better. Where would people like a creature like me? the tiger skin asked. Well, not your people, said Diggory, but some people might. It is very hard for me to understand, said the tiger skin. I had no parents, nobody taught me anything. But that isn't your fault. No, but now it means I am quite unsuitable. Nobody cares anything about me. I do, said Polly. I'll help you somehow, if you'll help me. Oh dear, exclaimed the tiger skin. I wonder if you really mean it. I do, I swear I do, Polly said. We'll get you shipped off to wherever you want to go, if only you do us this one favor. What may that be? Help us to catch that white witch. The tiger skin agreed, and the three set about making their plans to capture the white witch. I wonder how we shall do it, said Diggory. We shall need a lot of tigers. Yes, but where do we gather them? We shall have to let them go out of the forest and into the road, Polly said. I can help with that, the tiger skin said. The forest tigers trust me. And with that, he went off into the forest. We don't have much time, Polly said. The witch will be back before long. Let's go and look at the garden, said Diggory. There must be some way of capturing her there. They went out and looked around the garden for a suitable trap and had almost given up when Diggory spotted a pond. There's the pond, he cried. Yes, and there's the fountain, said Polly. And here's a little rock garden, Diggory said. And here's a bush with berries on it. And here's a rose bush. All of which are wonderful for catching white witches, Diggory said excitedly. 
As soon as the tigers get here, we can begin. It was evening, and all through the house the White Witch was celebrating her return. She was giving a feast, and the whole house trembled with the sound of singing. When she had finished, she poured herself out a glass of medicine from a bottle on a silver tray, and then she sat down in her great chair and said, I think I shall go stroll in the Kirk's garden near the pond. It's so lovely out tonight. I will go with you, said her slave girls. No, you stay here, she said. I shall go by myself. I have a little headache. And so she left and walked down to the pond, where, unbeknownst to her, Diggory and Polly and nearly a dozen tigers were lying in wait. Good evening, said the White Witch. This is a lovely evening. Oh, Diggory, Polly whispered. She's getting so close to us. Diggory nodded, and Polly reached out to seize the witch. As her hands clasped around the witch's ankle, the witch cried out and fell to the ground. Polly, Diggory, she sobbed, you have caught me. We have indeed, Polly said triumphantly, and it's all thanks to our tiger skin friend. The witch sat up and glared furiously at the tiger skin. I shall see you both die for this. I shall see you suffer. What are you going to do to us, Polly asked. How would I like to know, the witch said. And she flounced back into her castle. Well, she won't be bothering us any more, Diggory said. Now I suppose we must get you shipped off to wherever you would like to go. The tiger skin nodded. I would like to go to India, he said. Oh, would you? said Polly. India is a terrible long journey. I'm not sure we can arrange it. Please try, said the tiger skin. Tell you what, said Diggory. We'll see what it costs. Maybe Polly's grandfather will help us pay for it. It turned out the cost of shipping the tiger skin to India was pretty high, two hundred dollars. Will your grandfather pay it? Polly asked Diggory. He might, Diggory said doubtfully, but it's an awful lot of money. We'll both ask our grandfathers just in case, Polly said. To their surprise, both of their grandfathers said, yes, we'll pay. I suppose that's all right then, Diggory said. They all gathered at the post office to pay the $200 and say goodbye to the tiger skin. Oh, do look, cried Polly. Here's a great big crate. Is it for you? It is, said the tiger skin, and he patted the top of the crate. Well, goodbye, said Diggory. The tiger skin crawled into his crate and the postal men sealed it up and off the tiger skin went to India. I shall miss him, Polly said. He's such a dear. I shall miss him too, Diggory said, and he's such a beautiful tiger skin. Yes, said Polly, and once he's gone to India, he can come and live with us. I think he'll be much happier staying there, her grandfather said, but perhaps he can visit. I'd like that, said Polly. That would be fun, said Diggory, but he'd be awful lonely, and he'd miss India. Well, we'd all be happy to have him come and visit, said Polly's grandfather. And the four of them went back home knowing that the tiger skin had many friends in faraway lands. Mm -hmm.